are reading from the book of Titus tonight, which is different to what appears in your bulletin. For those looking for Titus, it's Paul's letter to Titus nestled in the back of the Bible and we'll be reading from page 966 in the church Bibles. Titus chapter 2, verses 11 to 14. For the grace of God has appeared that offers salvation to all people. It teaches us to say no to ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled, upright and godly lives in this present age while we wait for the blessing of hope. The appearing of the glory of our great God and Saviour, Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us to redeem us all from all wickedness and to purify himself a people that are his very own, eager to do what is good. This is the word of the Lord. I'm hoping this transition is as seamless as Portia and Ingrid's as Michael stays at home and here we are. What we'll be doing this week uh, in lieu of Michael's sermon on faith is we'll be swapping it with the one we would have had next week. So Michael will hopefully bring us that message next week, God willing. Let's pray as we get into his word. Our Father, might you quiet our hearts and minds as we come to your word now. Help us to put off distractions and hear your voice clearly. May we each learn of your grace and obey it gladly. Amen. The Christian life is a life of tension. You see, last week we saw that a Christian is one who has trusted the good news of God's rescue in Jesus, saved from sin and God's wrath, This is the word of God. By the Lord Jesus in his death and resurrection and saved, there is tension. You see, because Jesus has dealt with the penalty of sin, he's dealt with the punishment of sin, and he's even dealt with the power of sin. And yet we still live with the presence of sin. See, even if we are saved, we still live in an ungodly world, filled with ungodly passions, and we too sometimes act on the ungodliness and worldly passions. And so how do we live the Christian life with sin not only in our world, but also in our hearts? Well, in order to see what God has to say to this, we're going to look at the book of Titus, and in particular, chapter 2. Now, it's important to note that the Apostle Paul has written this letter to Titus. Now, Titus, he's a common fellow worker in the gospel. And so he writes this letter to this man he has left in Crete. He's left him there to appoint leaders in the churches and to refute false teaching. And he's written in this letter because he's concerned for the faith of those who trust in God and his salvation. So have a look, Titus 1 verse 1. Paul, a servant of God and an apostle of Jesus Christ, to further the faith of God's elect and their knowledge of the truth that leads to godliness. He wants them to be built up in their faith and their knowledge of God that leads to godliness. And yet there are people who are stopping this from happening. So in verse 16, we see that he wants those who claim to know God, but by their actions deny him, to be silenced. 
He wants Titus to teach what is true, to rebuke the false teaching that is pervading them. And so chapter 2, it starts with a list of all the things that Paul wants Titus to teach the older women, the younger women, the older men, the younger men. And at this point, if I'm Titus and I'm reading this, I think I'd be pretty overwhelmed. How could I ever teach them to do any of this? I mean, add to that, if you think about where Titus is, well, he's in Crete. I hear Crete is a beautiful place, but it's one of the most ungodly places you could be. It was a place that had no wild animals. Now, this is relevant because when we look at Titus 1.12, he says this, One of Crete's own prophets has said, Cretans are always liars, evil brutes, lazy gluttons. See, the joke is, in those words there, evil brutes, the original word, it means animal, hairy beast. So the joke is, on the island of Crete, well, the animals are the people. That's the kind of place where Titus is. And so how could Christians ever learn to live the Christian life in that environment? We too, we live in a world that is filled with ungodliness, a world that is filled with worldly passions. And I don't know about you, but I often wonder, well, how could I, how could we, how could our children, our grandchildren ever live the Christian life, ever learn to live the Christian life in such an environment? I mean, add to that all the stuff online, just seems like everything is against us. And it is into this context that Paul says these words of true relief. Titus 2, 11. For the grace of God has appeared that offers salvation to all people. It teaches us to say no to ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled, upright and godly lives in this present age while we wait for the blessed hope the appearing of the glory of our great God and Saviour, Jesus Christ. We come to point one, God's grace teaches us to say no. Now, at this point, I have to really apologise. The formatting on this, it's my bad. It's, it's bad. Um, but you have it there, and hopefully it can be helpful to you. It's just bold and in your face. Anyway, you see, if, if it was up to you and me, we actually, we really would have no hope of living the Christian life in this world. But God says there in Titus that the grace that offers the salvation we learnt about last week is actually the very same grace that teaches us to live the Christian life. Now, at this point, it's important to be clear on what the grace of God is. Now, the grace of God, it's not just an undeserved gift. Now, it is an undeserved gift, but it's not just an undeserved gift. The grace of God is an undeserved gift despite the fact we deserve God's wrath and anger for our sin, for living in ungodliness and worldly passions. Jerry Bridges, he tells the story of his mum feeding the homeless. And he says, strictly speaking, how the Bible speaks about grace, what she was doing wasn't grace. It was mercy. He says, if she was showing them grace, well, it would have been as if the homeless men had robbed her house the night before and knowing that, she still fed them meal that night. That's 
grace in spite of what they deserve, giving them what they don't deserve. And so it's helpful at this point to recognise it's not that God brings neutral people into great favour or great abundance, nor does he bring wicked people or people in wickedness to a point of neutral. He brings wicked people through to great abundance. And we see how in Titus 2.11, Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us to redeem us from all wickedness, to purify for himself a people that are his very own. You see, we go from being those in wickedness to purified in Jesus' very own, from what we deserve to what we absolutely don't deserve. It's phenomenal. This is God's grace. It's a complete change of identity, a complete change of who we are. Martin Lloyd-Jones, he puts it like this, were it not for the grace of God, there would be no such thing as a Christian. You see, if not for God's saving grace, there would be no Christian, let alone people equipped to live the Christian life. At my old church where I used to be, I had a conversation with a 90-plus-year-old man. He's a beautiful man. Just as an aside, he used to drive up to the top of Mount Kira or Mount Usley and look out over the Illawarra. And he'd look at which beach had the most people and then he'd drive down there and preach to them, open air. Isn't that amazing? He did that every month for many, many years. And I was talking to Eric, a man who loves his Lord and who loves the Word, and I don't know how he got to it, and he said, Johnny... I don't know why God loves me. Now, he, he knows why from the Bible. He, he knows it well and through and he believes it, but that's not what, what he was saying. He was saying, I don't know why God loves me. And he began to cry. He said, I don't know why God loves me, but I'm so glad he does. Paul says it is this very grace, this very love that teaches us to say no to ungodliness and worldly passions. It's not fear. It's not legalism. It's grace. Titus 2.11 For the grace of God has appeared that offers salvation to all people. It teaches us to say no to ungodliness and worldly passions. It's helpful to Think of it a bit like a slave. A slave who's been set free from his master, redeemed by another person who's paid the price to set them free. And one day the freed slave is walking down the street and hears the cry from his former master, Hey boy, come here. He feels the tug to go. The the old habits, they kick in, he feels it. But as he starts to turn around, He remembers what's been done for him. He remembers who he is. He remembers his identity, that he is no longer a slave, that he is now a free man. See, what has happened to him, it teaches him that he is free. He's able to say no to the tug and continue to live the free life. 
Well, God's grace, it will teach us that we are not wicked sinners anymore if we have accepted his grace. We are not under God's judgment, but we are redeemed people. And so if you don't think this is you yet, can I encourage you, take hold of the salvation that is freely offered to you. Because God's grace teaches us, it teaches us who God is. It teaches us what God has done. And it teaches us who we are in light of that. It teaches us our identity is no longer as slaves to sin, but as freed men and women free to live God's way. And so when we are tempted to ungodliness and worldly passions, God's grace equips us to say no. It reminds us who we are. We are those able to say no to ungodliness and worldly passions. This morning after the service I preached at 8am and one of the dear older men, John, he said to me, Johnny, what is, what is it that gives us the inner strength to do that? And I thought for a moment and well, he encouraged me, it's the Holy Spirit. You see, it's not an inner strength that comes from us, but it's the Holy Spirit that gives us strength to say no, equips us to say no. John O'Keefe was so right. Thomas Brooks, he says it in this way, saving grace by the power of the Spirit, saving grace makes a man as willing to leave his lusts as a slave is willing to leave his galley, or a prisoner his dungeon, or a thief his bolts, or a beggar his rags. Just a few weeks ago, I was having to reflect on this myself. I'd begun to spend more time online and more time on Facebook, and the things that were popping up were just so ungodly and so worldly, and they were filling my mind with this... They, they were talking about money and other people in such unhelpful ways and I needed to remember God's grace to continue to live God's way and not, not fall into these habits of thinking. I had to say no to these things and turn to God. And like me, I think we all need to learn from God's grace at this time. To let it teach us to say no to ungodliness or worldly passions. To say no to ungodly ways of thinking about other people. To say no to ungodly ways of acting in our tiredness or, or maybe busyness. To say no to the desire to be with the man or woman who is catching your eye, who is not your spouse. I include boyfriends or girlfriends or fiancés in that. to say no to the unhelpful things we are watching, reading, listening to, whatever it is, let God's grace teach us to say no to those things by the power of the Spirit. And when we do act in ungodliness or worldly passion, we know we can bring it to God straight away in repentance. You know, we don't have to clean ourselves up or get our minds in the right headspace first, and we can bring them to God straight away. Now, to repent... This is, this is to repent. To repent is to acknowledge what we have done wrong before God, say no to it in the future, and instead live God's way. It's what the Christian life requires as we live in this tension, to turn from those things, turn to God's ways in repentance. 
And part of this is confessing things to faithful brothers or sisters in Christ. I think it's actually really helpful to have at least one person or a couple of people who you're able to share with the really specific, nitty-gritty things that you struggle with when it comes to worldly passions, ungodly desires. Consider, is there a person in my life who, who knows the deep darkness that sometimes lurks within my heart, that knows the specific things, not just that I sin, but knows what it is in particular? Now, wisdom might suggest it's helpful for that person not to be your spouse, but that's something that depends on your situation. These people, they, they are so good. They can pray with you and remind you of God's grace and you can do that for someone else. I'm pretty thankful for a mate of mine. We meet up semi-regularly and share these things and pray for each other and it's hard and it's awkward, but that's okay. Even now, I'm actually reminded of the importance to continue in this. And I think these words of Titus, they're actually a real kindness to us particularly for those of us who are finding it a bit of a losing battle as we fight to say no. We consider again God's grace for us. He promises that his grace will teach us to say no by the power of his spirit. But God's grace doesn't just teach us to say no, it also teaches us, verse 12, It teaches us to say no to ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled, upright and godly lives in this present age. Point two, this one's shorter than point one. God's grace teaches us to say yes. I remember hearing a sermon in high school, something similar to this about living the Christian life and at the end of the first point, I felt really motivated to just do better, to be better. In the very next point, the preacher said, this would be a really bad way of thinking. And he was right. I'm not sure how he read my mind, but he was right. You see, if grace is all a gift of God despite what we do deserve, then the Christian life does not mean just resolving to do better, to be better. Rather, it is to soak yourself in God's grace and learn from him to say yes to the ways that he wants us to live. The first of these, we see in Titus, is to live self-controlled lives. I don't know if you've noticed this as you've read the scriptures, but self-control comes up a whole lot, like all the time. You see it in the fruit of the Spirit, by the way, fruit singular, not plural, the fruit of the Spirit, Self-control is one of them. You see it all the time. And so, well, it must be important. It's in the verses before ours. They won't come up on the screen, but I'll read them to you. Teach the older men to be temperate, worthy of respect, self-controlled, sound in faith, love, endurance. Verse 4, the older women, they can teach the younger women to love their husbands and children, to be self-controlled. Verse 6, similarly, encourage the younger men to be self-controlled. I always find it funny that everyone gives a whole list of things, but the young men like me, well, there's one thing you can handle, self-control. Just that. Just think on that. But we each need to be taught to be self-controlled, to control ourselves, to control our tongues, to control our desires, to control 
our body, how we behave online. And our, our supreme example of this, we see it in the life of Jesus. So remember when he's being uh, tempted in the wilderness. He's tempted in hunger. He's tempted in tiredness. He was tempted with things to make his life better and make his life easier. Just do this. It'll be better. And Jesus said no. But it's not just self-control. God's grace teaches us to be upright and godly in this present age, to be ones who live lives out of what God says in his word and be seen to live lives that are living out God's word. Again, our supreme example of what this looks like is in Jesus. He was always speaking God's words. In fact, his opponents, they couldn't find anything to accuse him of, so they made stuff up and they accused him anyway. And when they did so, well, they, when they cut him, he, he bled scripture. He, he kept saying the words of God. He kept living it out. We too can get to know God's word as we read the Bible, as we hear it taught, like now or in Bible studies. God's grace will teach you to be like Jesus by the strength of his spirit. Now, even this morning, I learned lots of things from our older congregation as they taught me through how they spoke about Jesus and about God and how they live out their life. And God's grace will teach us through the lives of others. I've also really appreciated joining the Wednesday night, uh, fortnightly men's group to learn from the wisdom and to learn from the word to know what this looks like. If you're not in one of our fortnightly or regular Bible studies, do so. They're, they're really helpful. You can talk to me or um, someone you've seen up the front. We'll put you in contact with people who can help. See, God's grace, it teaches us to say yes to what God loves. And final point, God's grace is teaching us to wait well. You see, we say yes and we say no while we wait because Christians are fundamentally a people who are waiting. You see it in Titus 2. It teaches us to say no to ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled, upright and godly lives in this present age while we wait for the blessed hope the appearing of the glory of our great God and Saviour, Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us to redeem us from all wickedness and to purify for himself a people that are his very own, eager to do what is good. Now, I don't know about you, but waiting is probably one of my least favourite things to do. On numerous occasions, my poor wife Jo has had to gently rebuke me for my impatience driving on the road. She does those ones where you hold on to the side. I don't know, if that, maybe that's just me. <laughs> At the doctors when I'm there, I feel like I've wasted half of my life before I even get to see them. I hate waiting. But the waiting Paul talks about here, it's not that kind of wait. This wait looks like saying no to the things of the world, yes to the things of God. It's turning from ungodliness and worldly passions to live God's way. It's, it's the life of repentance, saying no to the things of the world and saying yes to God's ways. Because what we are waiting for is so worth it. Did you see it there? 
the appearing of the glory of our great God and Saviour, Jesus Christ. You see, we are a people waiting for the return of our great God and Saviour, Jesus Christ, who has given himself for us to redeem us, to be a people who are his very own, purified. You ever think about that? See, Jesus has done what he has done so that you and I might belong to him. We are Jesus' people. We are his. He has paid the highest price to redeem us for himself. We are so incredibly valuable to him. We cannot even fathom how valuable we are to our God. He has paid the highest price. Well, today we mourn the loss of our dear brother in Christ, theologian, author, pastor, Tim Keller. On the whole, he understood the Christian life excellently. And he puts it like this. The Gospel says you are simultaneously more sinful and flawed than you ever dared believe. Yet more loved and accepted than you ever dared hope. See, we are more loved than we could ever dare to hope. I don't know why God loves us so much, but I'm so glad he does. This is God's grace to us. This is the grace that shapes the Christian life as we live in this tension. It helps us to say no, helps us to say yes as we wait. And as we wait, we do so as those who are eager to do what is good. Have a look at verse 14. He gave himself for us to redeem us from all wickedness and to purify for himself a people that are his very own, eager to do what is good. I was talking to, again, I'm always learning after I preach. I was talking to another uh, member of our church this morning, Sue. And she said, in her experience, she sees that it's not that we start by being eager to do what is good. Sometimes we start, well, we don't really want to. But the older we get and the more mature we get, the more God gives us joy. He, He wants us to be eager to do what is good. The more mature we come in the Christian life, we just... We just can't help but do the good thing. In fact, it happened this morning. I was out there with the welcoming flyers and Steve Turner came up and he said, oh, no, no, you go inside, I'll do that. I'd love to do that. And he would. He really wanted to do it. He was eager to do what is good. I love hearing all the good that is happening here. There's stacks of it in amongst our 5 p.m. congregation. So much good that is happening. Praying for each other, sharing life together, making meals for others. The list goes on and on and on. It's wonderful. Continue in it. Continue to be eager to do what is good. God moves us from reluctant acceptance through to joyful obedience. So how are we to live the Christian life with sin, not only in our world, but also in our heart? How are we to live the Christian life in light of the very real tension that we experience? 
but we do so not relying on our own efforts, but in the strength of the Spirit. His grace teaches us to repent, to say no, to say yes, and to be eager to do good while we wait for the certain hope that Jesus, our God and Saviour, will return. Let's pray. Our Father, we thank you for what the Lord Jesus has done. We thank you that the grace, your grace, has appeared, bringing salvation to all people and teaching us to say no to ungodliness and to live self-controlled, upright and obedient lives in this present age. Help us to be those who are eager to do what is good. Help us to be those who wait well and long for the coming of the glory of our great God and Saviour, Jesus Christ, in whose name we pray. Amen.